for listening to the cycling podcast at the 2023 Tour de France Femme. Today, we're in Rodez. A lot of times the plan doesn't work yeah, because it's, yeah, he has the strongest field of the year in the Tour de France. And uh, yeah, that it works today, yeah, that's not a surprise, but that's only a dream for us. Eh? It's, we are a young team and now we're winning a stage in the Tour de France. Today we deliver and that makes us very happy and emotional, like I say. Well, that was the voice of Michel Cornelis, the DS at Phoenix de Kernink. And obviously we actually heard him yesterday, didn't we, when Julie van der Velde got caught just before uh, the line. That's She's one of his riders um, as well. And he was in pretty kind of uh, buoyant mood yesterday, but absolutely uh, delighted uh, today, of course. Uh, well, I won't say who won exactly, but you'll already know it's obviously a Phoenix uh, de Kernick rider. Uh, but I thought it was just so... We, we normally also always hear um, such a measured response uh, from a DS. So it's nice to hear uh, a DS getting like wrapped up into the emotion and the drama of it like we are uh, every day. Uh, but that's enough uh, from me in my little uh, opener. I should say I'm joined by Denny Gray of the British Continental. Hi, Denny. Hello. And I'm joined on the line uh, by Lizzie Banks. Hello, Rose. Hello, Denny. And, uh, well, Denny, where are we uh, at the moment? We're in the centre of uh, historic Rodez. Um, I hope Which I've pronounced century, that right. <laughs> this is definitely 20th century in this little square. It's a modern part of the historic centre, but we're just a few minutes away from the beautiful cathedral, which kind of dominates uh, as you approach the city centre. And we're in a kind of lively, young, vibrant bar. Hopefully it doesn't get too lively, Rose. Yes. Well, this is, we live in fear, don't we? We want to find somewhere that's kind of got enough atmosphere, but we don't want anyone to have too much fun uh, when we're working, <laughs> let alone the sound issues. But that's more I can say. We do actually have a quite an aggressive fountain uh, not that far away from us. And it kind of keeps, oh, it's going up now. Uh, and then it keeps going down. It's kind of a very uh, extravagant uh, fountain that we've uh, got over there but that this is Rodez and um, you will hear a bit later from Francois Thomaso a bit about the kind of cycling uh, history it kind of gets often uh, the Tour de France the men's Tour de France uh, has come here uh, before but a little bit more about that later but we need to know what happened in the women's Tour de France of 2023 of stage four which also happened to go to Rodez funnily enough uh, and for that we need Lizzie's tail of the attack and we really need it this time Lizzie because we were driving for most of the day and in some places I had no idea uh, what happened so you are our saviour take it away Lizzie it's time for the tail of the attack Okay, well, get ready, people, because this is a long one. Uh, It was a chaotic stage today, stage four from Cahors to Rodez, and the longest race in the modern history of women cycling at 177 kilometres. 14 riders escaped the pack with 153k to go. The strong break composed of Christine Majerus, Shayla Gutierrez, Lucinda Brand, Audrey Cordon-Rago, Corinne Lebecki, Catherine Hammers, again, Talita De Jong, Jana Korovar, Romy Kasper, Alice Maria Atsufi, Anushka Costa, Cecilia Cecilia de Muel, Martha Troyan and Yara Castellain. 
Canyon Shram, FDJ Suez, UAE Team ADQ and DSM Firmenich were the big teams to miss the move. And after a futile attempt to get across from Sarah Roy, Grace Brown, Eleonora Gasparini, Tamara Jonova and Tanil Campbell, the break got into their rhythm and gained, gained some time as the peloton settled in for a 70-kilometre recovery ride on the uneventful early parkours. Bit by bit, the breakaway's advantage grew. Five minutes, then six, seven, eight, nine, when it finally settled on a whopping 10 minutes back to the peloton at 70 to go. After little interest from any teams to work on the front, it was SD Works' time to take heed of our advice and actually do a little bit of works, sending both Cicchini and Bredevold <laughs> up front. Thank you, Rose. <laughs> Canyon Shram then committed Sarah Roy to the effort, and as the race edged towards the final hard and hilly 40 kilometres, the gap was hovering at seven and a half minutes. The gears switched behind as the peloton jump started into race mode. Race mode. On the Côte de Colombes. Two minutes dropped from the gap as the road went up, and a strong attack from Capecchi took yet another minute out. Four minutes to the front now, with 30 kilometres remaining. Up ahead, the two highest placed general classification riders in the breakaway forced the pace. Cordon Rago taking the maximum bonus seconds of six ahead of Yara Castellan taking four. Behind now, birthday girl Emma Norsgaard set a hot tempo, shattering the peloton to pieces. The brake was also beginning to fracture with tired legs taking their toll. Yara Castellan decided it was now or never the Fenix de Koenig rider attacking hard from the bottom of the Cote de Moirazé. I'm sorry, France, with 19 kilometres left to race and still a three-minute lead to the group of favourites. The yellow jersey of Lotta Capecchi didn't just want to sit tight either, going solo to give herself some sliding room on the looming steeper climb of the Côte de la Verne. There were two races now, with two solo attackers and riders all over the road. The remains of the breakaway, 50 seconds behind Castelline, and the remains of the peloton, 35 seconds behind Lotta Capecchi, and with three minutes between Castelline and, Co and Capecchi. Keeping up? No, thought not. <laughs> we're having a little nap on over to... here, Lizzie. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're nearly there. On to the Cote de la Verne now at 10 kilometres to go. We're in the real final now, Rose. The last real test before the finishing climb. Castelline powered on ahead with a solid gap to her breakaway rivals. Behind, Vollering and Van Vluten took blows out of each other, gapping their rivals over the summit but refusing to work together and rejoining a group containing Labousse, Niviodoma, Capecchi, Longo Borghini and Mulman Passio. Three kilometres to go, to go now, and Labousse chanced her arm, attacking from the favourites and getting a, a gap. Through the flam rouge for Castelline and the memories of yesterday's heartache for Julie van der Velde fading, with clear road in front and behind, the pain in her legs now deafened by the roars of the crowd and the pure ecstasy as she crossed the line for a momentous solo win. But the second race was still to finish, Van Vluten hitting out hard on the savage final slope and ca catching the back markers from the break as Anushka Costa desperately pushed on at the front. Vollering still with power in her legs, coming round Van Vluten with Costa in her sights, overtaking Costa at 50 metres to go, sitting up across the line to take second with no idea whether she had run won the race or not in this completely chaotic finale. Costa held on for third, with Van Vluten, Longo Borghini, Niviodoma and Mulman Passio all losing two seconds to Vollering on the line, and Labousse another ten seconds back. Phew! After a thrilling day, it was no change at the top, with Kopecki still firmly in both yellow and green, Anushka Costa now leading the polka dot jersey competition, and Sadrine Kerbal 
still in the white jersey. <laughs> a shake-up in the top ten saw Vollering move into second at 43 seconds with Mormon Passio, Nivea Doma, Longo Borghini and Van Vluten tied on time eight seconds behind. Yara Castellain's phenomenal ride catapulted her into seventh on the GC and Lippert, Labus and Uttrup Ludwig round out the top ten with the latter losing a minute to Vollering today. Expertly written and read by Lizzie, as always. Uh, and I thought I thought you were actually asleep there. You were looking the other direction. I thought you'd just nodded off. Well, no. <laughs> if I'm totally honest, I was. We're kind of like uh, we've come to the end of our little tiny beers uh, that the waiter brought uh, us, and I'm kind of desperately flapping around to try and get him to bring us another in the most un- way that will disturb the podcast in the least possible way. So that's that's what I was doing. But Lizzie, okay, I was going to so say, what, actually, should... don't, don't tell Lionel, but I think you're my favourite tale of the attack. Oh, Rose, I, don't worry, I, I will definitely not tell Lionel. And I'm sure he'll definitely not, uh, not hear Find that out. <laughs> yeah, either. <laughs> no, no way. Well, um, it was amazing, wasn't it, from Yara Castelline? And I think because we'd obviously seen her in the polka dots a couple of days ago, we'd seen the, the effort that Julie van der Velde had made uh, from Phoenix to Koenig yesterday... Not that, of course, it was in any way uh, expected, um, but, you know, it was great to see a kind of just reward for all the effort that Fenix de Koenig had put in and all the effort that Yara Castelline uh, had put in. And I'm, I'm very happy to say, because obviously we heard from her a few days ago, um, and she was so... Um, uh, Buoyant. So it, She was so brilliant, but so expressive about her love for her family and the fact that they were there and watching. Um, And I believe she said, actually, that her brother was going to join on uh, a Wednesday, and it is a Wednesday, so I I really hope he made it uh, to the finishing time. Um, But, uh, yeah, fantastic uh, and sort of a little bit not so unexpected as it might have been uh, a week ago, Denny. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, actually, Fenix de Koenig seemed to be quickly... uh, positioning themselves as the press's favourite team because the just as yesterday when the press were seemed very disappointed when uh, they didn't win uh, today there were there were cheers of jubilation to see her cross the line and I have to say they, they played an absolute blinder that yesterday there the DS said uh, that they didn't deliberately didn't put her in the break yesterday there was a plan for the future and the plan revealed itself today um, she didn't pick up the queen of the mountains points early on in the stage but as but the gap who cares? went out who cares now <laughs> yeah exactly as and as the as the gap went out it became apparent that she was probably in prime position to take the stage being such a strong climber i mean she was 13th last year in the uh, the tour and on the climbing stages she was 14th and 15th she's just 25 and she's quickly proving herself to be a, a kind of an expert tour fam rider well, there was also a little bit of anticipation, wasn't there, early on that she might be going for the win uh, because they're one of the very few teams in that 14-rider uh, break that had the two had two riders. Fenix de Koenig um, had Yara Castellain and they had Marta uh, Truen uh, in there. And obviously there was a little bit, we heard that Audrey Cordon Rigaud was perhaps not so happy about the lack of work from uh, Yara Castellain. Um, but then, that, I mean, that's bike racing, isn't it, Lizzie? I mean, that's if your team was yeah. in that position, that's what you would do as well. That's bike racing. And let's just say there are some riders in the peloton who are more vocal than others. <laughs> I wonder who you could be referring to. Uh... <laughs> Silence. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> Uh, we, okay, Lizzie won't be drawn on that. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, uh, the, I mean, it's it's funny, isn't it? Because I mean, we were having actually a little bit of a uh, not a dispute, Denny, in the car, but we were having a two different sides of the story, um, weren't we? That I said that why should they work, uh, or why should Yara Castelline work if uh, Marta Troyan is working? Because you know, you should get kind of uh, each team is then working, um, and if you manage to get two team members in the break then surely that is your advantage Lizzie I don't know I imagine you have a strong opinion on it uh, regardless yeah I mean that's the thing you play the game don't you and I think that the break worked really well together in order to to get that advantage um, and you you have to work well in order to establish an advantage like that and when it gets to the point that you think okay one of us can actually win here you have to make the tactical decision and if you don't make the tactical decision you're never going to win and it's not like they didn't have a rider working Martha Troyan was was very much working her socks off um, you know I understand that Christine Majerus actually wasn't working in the break you know after after a period when they gained such a lot of time which was completely understandable because she had riders behind who then were actually working so so you know it's it's just life like that's how <laughs> that's how it works if you've got two riders there then you can play the game and if you're if you're alone you've you've got to try and be tactical in a different way you know you've got to make sure that you do your pulls on the uphill for instance when everybody's going to be working hard and that you're sitting in on the downhill so there are different ways of playing the game if you're only one rider there but yeah I mean getting shouted at and and taking it and not and not doing what you're told when you're when you're shouted at that's also part of the game well, shall we hear from Marta Troyan? Because uh, I caught up with her at the Phoenix de Kerning uh, team bus after the stage, and the celebrations were fantastic. Actually, I mean, Marta, I haven't actually spoken to her before, but she is absolutely fantastic. Uh, one of the Swanyers came over and said, Marta, you need to stop talking to people. You know, you need to have a, a bead on of water. And she said, I don't need water today. I just want champagne. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just thought it was absolutely uh, fantastic. And, um, yeah, well, let's hear from Marta herself now. I mean, that was a, a, a perfect plan for Felix to Or was it a perfect plan? Or was it something that you guys had to decide on the road? Yeah, the plan was to to grab the points away from the Com Jersey, the first, the first climb after 17K. And I had to beat Koster and try to, yeah take away points so that uh, Yara could take the, the mountain jersey, but uh, <laughs> I didn't take points. <laughs> Koster took all the points and I was third in the sprint, so I, I hadn't any points. And then, yeah, we were, we were gone with, yeah, with 14, and then we were riding full gas. And then it was, yeah, we knew that, that we had a big chance to, to come really far in the, yeah, in the stage. And then in the end, yeah, we saw that the could win. So uh, then it was, I'm not a climber, so uh, yeah, I had the task, and I, I, I would like to uh, help Yara as much as possible, so that she could ride a good result, and then she wins. So uh, yeah, in the end, it was a perfect plan. <laughs> Before the tour, we were hoping, but it looked, it looked impossible. But uh, never say it's impossible because, uh, yeah, <laughs> we win the stage, so uh, it's great. And tell us a bit about Yara as a person. What is she like? Uh, what kind of personality is she? Yeah, she's really funny. Uh, yeah, she's not 
<laughs> always serious in, uh, in talking and she always has a, a, a lot to say but nothing to say. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I really like her and um, you, when you are with her, you always have a lot of fun and uh, yeah, she, she helps also with the atmosphere in the team. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a great person and uh, if someone deserves this win, it she she was in the she was last month she crashed on her knee and she was yeah doubting about herself and uh, I can't ride I can't ride and uh, I have to rest I have to rest and then uh, I knew on the training camp Christina me said maybe it's good that you don't have uh, that you have doubts that you don't have the pressure that you just can ride and uh, see how far you can come and uh, yeah no see <laughs> so it's perfect. What I love about that interview with uh, Marta Troyan, you know, she was so honest uh, with the press. Uh, she was, you know, saying that the plan was not to to go for the stage, and she was at Marta Troyan was actually meant to be going for the QOM points um, to try and take them from the other riders and keep Yara uh, and Julie van der Velde in a good position on the polka dot jersey. And Marta just said, "Yeah, I couldn't. Uh, I didn't do it. I couldn't do it. I tried, and I just uh, failed every time." But you know, look at the fantastic outcome. Um, that they've got today so um, you know it's one of those things obviously you think when the breakaway succeeds that you know the breakaway will be happy but on a stage like this the breakaway was ripped apart and in a situation where the breakaway does make it to the end obviously no one is actually happy apart from the one person that wins and uh, we saw uh, Audrey Cordon Rigaud who was not very happy as we've already mentioned uh, out on the road I saw her at the finish she was absolutely disconsolate, just uh, sitting on the floor of the finish line, uh, cry, you know, crying her eyes out, uh, gasping for breath, so uh, disconsolate, so disappointed. Uh, and right next to her was, of course, the San Michel rider. Cecily Lamuel, I think it is. Um, who, and she was delighted. They were standing next to each other, both of them in the breakaway, and she was absolutely delighted. Yeah. So I mean, it was eight, eighth people. place for her on the line today, which was a huge, a huge result for a, for a small team like San Michelle and, and there's, there is Sorry, no way. Celia Lamuel, before we, uh, we get complaints. Before, yeah. And Lizzie corrects me. And Lizzie, furiously googling. I was actually as scrolling up. I was scrolling back up through my tale of the attack because I thought it was Celia. But I don't worry. I mangled her name as well, Danny. I'm actually just waiting <laughs> for you to say that um, that this is. I don't know. Um, this is uh, Yara Castellan's second road win, and I'm going to say, actually, no, Denny, it's her first road win. Oh. Wow. Well, there we go. First well, you, road you, win. I don't need to say anything now, do I, Lizzie? This is a so, bit like Minority Report, where it's like the thought police, yeah, you know. Like Lizzie's second guessing what I'm going to say, <laughs> getting it in first. I was doing the well, research so I, that I, I could help you out. I was when ready you got for some live fact checking. I didn't know you were going to look into the future and fact check me before I even had a chance to speak. Well, Denny, you're so wrong, and I don't know even why you said that. It's, you should have checked your facts uh, beforehand. Um, but where was I? I mean, obviously, lots of people who. Were, so many mixed emotions uh, when a breakaway. Uh, makes it uh, to the line in the way, or you know, is successful in the way that it that it was today. Yeah, and that was, uh, I guess, that was probably the first win of the tour that was kind of unexpected, in a way. So it's always a, a delight uh, to see kind of the, the slight underdog take a victory. Um, but I think on top of the disappointment of some of the riders in the in the peloton, it was also a, a very exhausting sta stage as well, being that, as you said, Lizzie, in the introduction, mm -hmm. the longest ever. Uh, stage and um, 
Did you say the longest ever race for women? Is that right? Well, it's the longest in, in the sort of modern history. So previous to this, uh, we had stage four of the Giro Rosa in 2020, which actually I think in including the neutral of that stage and today i think it was about one kilometer less but unfortunately the giro donut organizers donut organizers can't actually add up so i think on paper it was about 10 kilometers less than it actually was but yeah so this is the official longest women's world tour race there has yeah. been i don't want to say the longest women's race ever because i'm i I'm sure in the old days women used to follow the men around on the Tour de France and so there were some ridiculous stages but yeah I mean it's not you know it's not that usual for us to have nearly five hour stages and I think that actually you know with the peloton being very slow in the first couple of hours of the stage two and a half three hours of the stage I think that's actually almost more difficult because in a race like Ronda van Drenthe which is a very long race as well when you're just on all the time you're you're constantly focused and your body is just in one mode when you go into this kind of relaxed tra-la-la state and then you have to switch gears from that to race mode I think that's even more difficult and then so you even get more tired somehow um, but it's also just the focus that's required throughout the whole stage it's ex it's sometimes in a race I find that actually one of the most exhausting things is the mental focus even over the physical side of it um, but then when you pile those two things on top of each other and you know we're day four of absolute full gas racing now it's it's no surprise to see riders sort of breaking down at the finish line and of course after a very very challenging run into the line as well well you know you talk about that exhaustion Lizzie but there was lots of emotions uh, going on around the Saratazit WNT uh, team Aliche Arzufi uh, was their rider who made it into the break uh, we also spoke about Cedrine Cabal uh, yesterday um, <laughs> lots of uh, hugging and tears and I wanted to know whether they were uh, happy tears or uh, sad tears or you know uh, how she felt about being in the break that day yeah, it was amazing. I mean, uh, I'm really happy and proud of me and the team that I could get in the breakaway today. Even if, uh, yeah, this morning what happened, I didn't feel 100% to be fair. And I was like, yeah, today I will take it easy because, yeah, I want to recover a little bit. But then, yeah, I was just in the front when there was this breakaway and I had to jump in. And once that I was in, I just keep rolling. And, yeah, I can tell that it was one of the hardest days on the bike of my life. But, yeah, I'm proud of me because, uh, yeah, I did something that I, maybe I didn't expect. So you get very emotional with your teammates. Is that happy tears, sad tears, exhausted tears? Yeah, because uh, in the radio, the DS were saying that uh, today is the chance of my life. And they just said to go full gas. And uh, yeah, my teammates were like super emotional for me for this. And they are happy that uh, I could uh, did such an effort. Now, one of the other major talking points uh, that the break affected was, of course, the polka dot jersey. I mean, obviously, the points have been reasonably small at this point compared to what they will be uh, on the Tourmalet. Uh, but you spoke to uh, Anushka Costa, didn't you, Denny? Um, because she had a fantastic day, not only getting the break, but then kind of backing it up afterwards. Yeah, a very happy day for Anushka Costa, rather. Not only did she uh, come away with the polka dot jersey, but she also finished third on the stage. So here's, here's what she had to say. If there was an opportunity, we, uh, yeah, of course, uh, we should go into it. Um, yeah, and especially also already the last days, uh, I was also really attentive with the team to uh, 
be in the breakaway and uh, yeah it's nice that it now uh, works out uh, finally yeah and tell us about the early uh, QOM points because uh, you picked up maximum points I think on the first two climbs didn't you what was the competition for those like did uh, Yara Castellan go for them yeah she went for it and also Catherine Hammers because she was also uh, yeah high in uh, disclassification for it uh, but I could uh, take them both and uh, that was really nice because uh, yeah it was not a yeah it was not really a big goal or how do you say it uh, from the start of this tour we didn't uh, make a goal of it but uh, yeah it worked now out like this and uh, we said with the team now also this uh, last two days okay yeah we make a goal from it and uh, we go with the team to go far in this uh, yeah, classification and uh, I could grab points and it's finally yeah it's nice that I have now this reward of it yeah congratulations and when when the gap went out to over 10 minutes what were you thinking um, yeah, that was really nice because normally uh, the yeah the last uh, yeah the last years actually it doesn't happen so often anymore that the breakaway will stick till the end with no GC contenders. So it's really nice that it works now out like this, and uh, we had a good cooperation furthermore within uh, the breakaway, and almost from every team there was uh, somebody in. And the closing stages of the race were particularly tough. How did they go for you? Uh, yeah, it was really hard. So the the last part, um, yeah, we had to keep on pushing because she uh, she uh, riders were also coming. So uh, you know, okay, it's going to be close, and it would be a pity that we would uh, yeah get caught by the by the whole uh, peloton actually. Yeah, what was left from the peloton. But uh, we just could make it. Only uh, Demi passed me on the finish line, but I can live with that. So I got third. So uh, yeah, it's nice also with uh, all the of all the breakaway riders that we could make it so far because uh, everybody deserves it from the breakaway to come uh, far in this stage. Do you have any thoughts now on whether you can defend the polka dot jersey? Um, yeah, we will. Uh, we will go for it. We will fight for it with the team. So um, we will see it day by day. But uh, for sure, we will fight for this. The cycling podcast of the 2023 Tour de France Femme is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Now, for me, one of the craziest things about today was the fact that the break got so much time. Uh, getting ten and a half minutes is something I don't think I've actually. In memory, and Lizzie can correct me about what my um, what I can remember, um, but I don't ever remember. Uh, my fact checker. Yeah, at just work going now. going through my brain and checking what I can actually remember. But I don't ever remember there being a breakaway in a major race uh, like this that you know got ten and a half uh, minutes. No, me neither. The longest break that I remember is... Um, you. I feel vindicated. ...is the women's <laughs> tour when I first actually met the cycling podcast, Rose. It was um, the stage on Burton Dasset in 2019. And it was so slow. I remember Sarah Roy was out ahead and she was a strong rider. And I, it was seven or eight minutes. And that was like, how the hell are we ever going to bring this back? And we just weren't moving. We were literally, it was almost difficult to go that slowly. I actually dropped a gel and it was a really delicious rhubarb and custard gel. And I actually considered getting off my bike, turning around, going to get it and pick it back up because we were going that slowly. <laughs> and that's kind of, you know, from the interviews that I heard after the finish, that seems like how it was today in, in the peloton as well. Just, you know, they had no interest in doing anything. They were all pretty tired from three very difficult finales wanted a bit of a rest and the parkour was allowing it because it was pan flat well i have to say uh 
it has helped me enormously to give me a good excuse as to why. We were doing one of your firsts, weren't we, Denny, uh, today, and that was the feed zone. You've never been to a, a Tour de France feed zone before, and I was saying, well, I was kind of doing... Um, both sides of the coin wasn't I because I was saying both it's a great spectacle and it's amazing and it's chaotic and it's manic and it's dangerous everywhere uh dangerous uh but also I was also um making it seem really boring because I was like uh, you know Denny's like oh what's in the musettes and what is it and I was like oh Denny it's just like any energy gels SIS Science and sport, any gels if they've got any sense, and rice cakes and just bedons of water and electrolytes and blah. Um, but unfortunately, uh, well, as you'll hear, uh, Denny's experience of the feed zone probably fell a little bit more uh, into the second category <laughs> because the peloton were going so slow. So it wasn't kind of like the chaos that um, we were expecting. Well, Denny, you've done a few firsts already on this trip. The caravan, of course, the press buffet, which is all about feeding uh, you and me. But here uh, today, we're at the feed zone um, on the course, and it's all about feeding the riders, of course. Uh, what do you know about the feed zone? Uh, I mean, this is their mid-race feed, a chance to get some important energy in in the middle of the race before the action really kicks off. So, yeah, I mean, I've never witnessed it before, but it's a quite a short strip of road, slightly uphill here. So uh, there are kind of... Uh, staff members lined along the side of the road here ready with uh, musettes in along their arm and their their job is to try and give out musettes which will be bedons and energy gels and bars and so on to to each of the riders from their team so uh, it's going to be a I, expecting kind of a manic couple of minutes as the peloton comes through uh, now, there, uh, there is a break uh, today that we uh, know of. Um, but, you know, here it's kind of... Uh, it's very serene, aren't we? We're in uh, the lot, uh, you've told me, Denny, anyway. Uh, and it's very quiet, very serene. But obviously, as soon as the race comes through, it's, you know, yeah, as you said, manic, loud vehicles. Um, but, uh, yeah, well, we kind of... We've got a, a nice view line here. We've got FTJ lined up and EF and Little Trek... Uh, all in a line waiting for their riders to come through. So, uh, well, we're waiting with anticipation. Oh, there, here they come. Yeah, this so is, here, uh... here's the break of 14. Do you have any riders in, in the break? No. no, so there's 14 riders coming up the road. It's on a slight uh, uphill section, so there's plenty of time for them to to grab musettes. Not a huge amount of staff on the side of the road handing out food. So far, and here come the cars. So, very slow pace. But this has awoken an otherwise very sleepy scene here in the middle of the lot. Cicadas chirping away, people on the roadside taking a bit of a nap. Uh, So this has certainly livened things up for the smattering of spectators here on the side of the road. Well, here we are, Denny. We had the brake come through and it was a bit of a long wait, wasn't it? Um, but here comes the peloton. Bedons up in the air for the Swaniers. We're kind of right in the thick of it, aren't we? We're here between the EF Education and the FDJ Suez Swannies and uh, here come the peloton now. Not all of them grabbing uh, musettes, or they've already grabbed them. Lots of Quebec just come past us. EF Education there, 
handing out the bidons, very nicely grabbed, uh, and that was it. It was very quick and <laughs> very quick and furious. Um, I imagine there's going to be a few riders needing to go back to the uh, cars to get the musettes because that didn't seem a, a full house in terms of what was handed out. But um, well, it was. It's a bit of an unusual, to be honest. I've done a, a lot of, as I've told Denny many times, I've done a lot of feed zones. And I'm. Uh, I'm uh, I don't want to say crushing your spirit a bit, Denny, but um, I'm, I'm a little bit over standing at the side of the road at a feed zone after all this time. Uh, but it's kind of an unusual one. It's slightly kind of technical. It's not very wide. Um, and uh, we saw that maybe, like, you know, not there weren't that many being taken, were there? It felt like it was very much uh, business now in the peloton, perhaps because the break we know has got nine minutes. Uh, maybe the riders on the front felt they just had to get their heads down and, and get some get some refreshments and energy uh a bit later on, I don't know. Well, well I do. Uh, so now we see, like, you can hear now. The Swannies have given out all their um, musettes, all their bidons, and they've run back to their cars. And the car, all the cars you're hearing are people who were literally just seconds ago giving out bidons. It's, uh, it's kind of, yeah, crazy. Now everyone's rushing uh, now uh, to the to the finish line. But what's something that I always, I never get bored of is that when the peloton comes through, you get this gust of air this gust of wind comes in it you feel like you need to be like forced back off the road even when they're not going that fast um i don't know whether you experience that Denny, but i get that every time every time after all these years oh so it's always thrilling and uh i'm always amazed at how well uh riders can you know grab the bidons and the musettes and whatever else is coming you know they're not going uh flat out by any means but certainly you know there's quite a skill there just to uh to make sure you don't miss that bottle, which of course we see sometimes happening. So yeah, I have the utmost respect for both the Swannies and and the riders uh, in that kind of little melee. And we can see now, uh, obviously, there's plenty of fans gathered. Also, they're just uh, collecting whatever bidons they can find. We actually saw just before uh, the feed zone, where the waste zone is, uh, we saw actually someone who had designed a fantastic cardboard uh, box uh, that said bidons si vous play, and everyone was. Uh, throwing them in. We actually can um, see here one of the other things about um, the feed zone is it's actually a point at which the riders, if they're going to step off, um, can step off because the team cars are here. We've actually just seen Elise Oyen of Team DSM uh, getting in the car. Is she okay? Yeah, obviously stepping off uh, her bike, so uh, getting in the car. So her race uh, is unfortunately done, but um, our race is not done, is it, Denny? And we better hot foot it to the finish. Let's go. Well, that was us at the feed zone earlier, Denny. I don't, how are you ranking? We've done the press buffet, the feed zone and the caravan so far in your week of firsts. How are you rating those? On a fun three? rating, I'd definitely say the press room buffet wins so oh, far. And all, which is incredible because it was not a good uh, press room buffet. I think I just enjoyed the experience of creeping around the press room buffet just, in front of the rest of the media trying to record uh, that segment. Uh, the cheese was delicious, I have to say, as well. Oh, well, per, well, the, I, well what I was know the you cheese? are a cheese lover. Cantal. It was Cantal. No, Somebody can was tell. listening. Oh, Sorry, that was a terrible pun. <laughs> uh, we can only hope that the sound of the plane overhead has drowned out your terrible joke uh, there, Denny, with, a, with a, eh, any luck. Um, 
But yes, so it did give us a, a bit of a breathing space, though, didn't it? Having the break come through and then having kind of nine minutes before we uh, saw the peloton afterwards. Uh, but we, what we haven't spoken about yet is where the GC battle stands. And I'm sure everyone was expecting it to be more of a GC battle today than it turned out to be because of the break, uh, being so far ahead. Um, but Demi Vollering coming second... Um, I mean, you uh, heard her... Uh, well, we saw her celebrate, sort of, but it's questionable whether she knew that she had won or yeah. not or... Yeah, I mean, Denny, you heard, you yeah. heard, saw her at the finish line, didn't you? The what did she say finish there? Line. I mean, on that celebration itself, she wasn't sure whether she was first or not, so she said she thought she might as well celebrate and therefore if there are pictures to be taken, she's in position and then quickly said, well... You know, you're going to have to delete the pictures now. Um, but yeah, she looked unsure, didn't she? Yeah, she, she sort of she like hopes raised her. The pictures. <laughs> she sort of raised yeah. her arms to the side of her in that sort of like question mark emoji. I'm, I'm doing it now yes, for the podcast. Yeah. I'm sure you can see. You know, put your arms out and like, what's going on? Um, because she really. But right, didn't, I mean, she riders didn't when they. But riders when they do win, they also do a bit like a. Oh my God, what's happened? you know and put their hands on the helmet which is what she did <laughs> yeah but I guess um, it was an underwhelming version of that wasn't it because I think yes okay. you know if she really believed she'd have won that stage we've seen her celebrations they're really kind of yeah I mean emotional she's a very emotional rider I would say um, and it was I, I'd say sort of like a 50% celebration so I think there definitely was a question mark there she said as well in her post-race interview that uh, she came over the finish line she saw she saw Costa and she really had no idea or not whether there was anybody else out from the break in front because it was just such a chaotic finale so well the obviously uh, we also saw the first kind of uh, Annemiek van Vluten going against Demi Vollering. Um, shall we hear from uh, Annemiek uh, now? Both you and Demi were both having it going on the attack. What were, were you trying to, guess, gain some time? Well, yeah, let's test each other a little bit. Eh? Today's the day to test each other. Because uh, for the next two days, yeah, we can test, test each other concentration levels. But uh, so uh, I knew it was a beautiful final. We did week on it. Uh, only the climbs were not super steep, only the last one, and that's also where we could make a difference. But also, you know that if uh, yeah, it was a hard final, and uh, we did a super good uh, setup and a super good plan with the team, so I'm super proud. Uh, to surprise a bit after the uh, bonus sprint, was not for bonus anymore, but just before we went full gas on the descent, also the goal to stay safe, and Orbi, Anik, Emma, the whole team, uh, Paula, everyone was in, and we had Sheila in front, so. For today, for the team spirit, it was also a good day. Uh, and I think we surprised a bit there. And then it was like, uh, yeah, the tech started. And that's also what I needed to try to make a difference. And I think uh, Damien and me uh, had each other on the limit. I think on the final finish, he took some time over me. So because uh, I started a little bit too early, uh, I thought in the middle of the it was a bit shorter this uh, last turn. <laughs> <laughs> in the end, it also surprised me always that still always some teams like are going to help as he works for the victory. So uh, that's uh, something uh, I think during the race that was maybe, yeah, that you think like, play the game, play also the poker. They're really good in poker and I have to say shout out to Seaburgs, uh, they're really good in the poker game. But uh, some teams, um, yeah, that I think it's nice that you have also your own plan, but uh, I think uh, maybe it's time to play a bit uh, that uh, only look to them. I think uh, that would be more fair. Or smart, I would say. Where do you think this leads the GC battle now? How do you see the next couple of stages playing out? Are they going to be important, do you think? Have you looked at the profile? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's wind power 8, you never know. 
Well, Denny, we heard there uh, you speaking to uh, a, a rather buoyant Annemiek van Vluten because uh, you would say if this was in any way a GC battle, and obviously the, the climb is much more short, much shorter, much punchier, much more suited to Demi Vollering than it would be Annemiek van Vluten than, say, the Tourmalade, which we have coming up. Um, but uh, it was kind of first blood to Demi Vollering today, wasn't it? Yeah, it was an interesting contrast, actually, to, you know, listening to them both after the stage because Annemiek van Vluten seemed the most buoyant uh, compared with Demi Vollering, and yet Demi Vollering won some time over Annemiek van Vluten, which could be important later in the race. I mean, Demi Vollering said she felt, uh, she, she hoped for more today. Uh, I guess she was very, very close to a stage win. Her first, would have been her first stage win, of course, of, in the Tour Fam. So she was disappointed from that and hopes to go on to win a stage later on in the Tour. But also she gave the impression that she, she'd hoped to get a bit more time. Having said that, she also said that she thought this stage was more suited to Annemiek van Vluten, which, really? which, which isn't what we thought, certainly, mm. going into the stage. Um, no. Annemiek seemed pleased Wait a minute, with... You're saying, so you're saying Demi Vollering, who won the triple of the Ardennes classics <laughs> this year and this was by far and away the most Ardennes style stage that you could get she thinks this was an Annemiek van Vluten Rose, Rose the same person yep. who wrote that line wrote the same thing about Lorena Vibas saying they've still got hard stages to come <laughs> yeah. they're literally they're just writing a comedy behind the scenes and they're playing the game with everybody <laughs> I love this yeah. idea but Annemiek, I mean Annemiek seemed quite pleased with her legs um, she said it kind of described it as a good first test of course and um, it, it was a fascinating little battle you know there were a few kind of moves there weren't they between the two Vollering went first Annemiek seemed to be struggling to catch up with Vollering initially but then Annemiek counter-attacked and then of course in the final climb Vollering got the better of Van Vluten so it's kind of a, a nice warm-up I'd say for what we might have to come but it's probably not going to tell us too much about you know what we'll see on the Tourmalet so far. Yeah I agree with you Danny it's interesting isn't it you know we've all been lined up for this big duel between Van Vluten and Vollering and, and we had a moment over that final final climb the Côte de today where we thought they were going to go away and then you know they had a, a really significant gap to a, a small group behind and then there was another significant gap to the group with Utrecht Ludwig who you know clearly wasn't going to do any work to chase um, but Van Vluten and Vollering just looked at each other and neither of them wanted to help the other one get away and it actually would have been mutually beneficial for them to put time into their rivals but they just said no no way but I think that it they they are both very clear that they know I know I, I actually caught up with uh, Annemiek on the first day before the first stage um, you know, and we actually everyone heard it actually in stage one the predictions and I went on to ask her a little bit about you know her uh, Vollering versus Van Vluten and, and she says you know she wishes people would stop reducing it down to Vollering versus Van Vluten and uh, you, you know there are other rivals we had uh, and then I remember after stage two speaking to her at the finish there and I said oh you know was there any possibility that there could be any room for a GC uh, battle on stage two and, and she was like no of course not I can't I can't get rid of, uh, you know, the, the climb is only 5%. It didn't look like a GC day. And I was like, well, you know, the Giro, de, Giro Donne, I didn't think that any of the days particularly looked very GC-esque, but, you know, Annemiek, you, you turned every single day into a GC day. And she said, um, 
I can't get rid of Demi Vollering on a 5% climb. It's the 7% climbs that I need to uh, get rid of her on. So it's a bit like, we look at all the rivals, but they are very much locked into just watching uh, each other. Yeah, I think Van Vluten is Van Vluten is trying not to close down the excitement of the tour, and I think she's very much trying to big it up for for the for the audience as well, and trying to say, also take the pressure off a little bit. Take the pressure it? off herself, you know. I, I think so, but I think the pressure is already off her because somehow she's not the favourite, even though she's won the yeah. last five Grand Tours. You know, isn't that crazy that she's not the favourite, <laughs> but she's won the last five Grand Tours? But somehow the pressure just isn't on her, and I feel like. I feel like Van Vluten has changed in her mentality over the years. You know, she used to be this rider that would often say like, oh, the, the race just wasn't hard enough. Um, and I think as she's she's won more, she's become more prolific and she's, you know, especially as she's nearing towards retirement now, she's just become so much more relaxed. And I really enjoy the vibe that, that she gives off in interviews. Um, and she's talking about how she's here to have fun. And, you know, now she's saying like, it's not the pressure's not on me. It's on Demi Vollering, and she wants to enjoy it. And, and the most important thing is that it's a spectacle for the fans. And yeah, I really appreciate that. And I think that when she's trying to say it's not just me and Demi Vollering, she's also yes taking the pressure off herself, but also trying to like liven up the whole race for the fans as well. I haven't actually looked at that particular climb where. Uh, Anna Meek took the lead to try and get rid of Vollering to work out whether it was 7% or 10% or 5%. Where, you know, where is the line? I feel like we need, a, we need a scale, don't we, from Anna Meek? You know, 5%, yes. I can't beat Demi. 7%, yeah. maybe I can. 10%, well, we saw that today. Uh, Demi got the best of Anna Meek. That's a very good point, Denny. Very but, good. Yeah. Don't don't crush Denny well, now, Lizzie. Well, that was a very actually, good. It was, on the flatter, <laughs> it was on the flatter section that Demi oh, made. Demi go. made. <laughs> Demi pulled away, didn't she? So, yeah, I don't know. It was it was essentially it was a short climb. It was a short explosive <laughs> climb, and I think we we're going to have to wait until the tourmalade for them really to go head to head. Absolutely. Well, one of the other riders that was. Billed as a favourite for the stage uh, was Kasia Niviadoma, and I caught up with her uh, at the finish. Let's hear from her. Uh, definitely the first part um, was quite boring and slow when the breakaway went away. We definitely, that was the first mistake of ours that no one was there. Um, yet I knew that a lot of teams, even though they had riders in the breakaway, they were not really happy about that because, um, yeah, I knew that eventually the teams will start working. So then SD Works took initiative first. And then once we hit like 45 Ks to go, then everything started. And basically it was just like all out or nothing, all out or nothing. So very demanding final, especially after such a distance. Sometimes I feel like just the legs are also quite sleepy. So then to get into the rhythm is also challenging, but yeah, it was all the time something was happening, so there was not much thinking involved, which was nice, actually. So, um, yeah, I definitely gave my best at the finish line. I just felt like there was nothing I could push with. But it was, like, all about just making it to the finish line. So, yeah, I'm happy we made it without losing much time in the GC. And you're happy with how your legs feel and, you know, where you're, where you're at? Yeah, I definitely feel like I'm slowly opening up. I spent three weeks on altitude, so it always takes some days to actually get the explosivity because I feel like that's what I'm missing now. Usually when I do 
preparation for longer climbs, I miss those punchy attacks. But I feel like it's coming every day, so... That was Kashinivia Doma, who, you know, every time the Arden classics come round, people always say that, you know, it's bound to be hers. But I thought it was really interesting that she was suggesting that because she'd been putting in a lot more training about doing these long, extended uh, climbs like we're going to see on the Tourmalet, that that has meant that she has lost a little bit of the punchiness that she is uh, so famous for. So it does make you question... How much we can judge from this stage in terms of uh, form, um, and also fantastic to see Ashley Woolman Passio uh, right up there on the stage today, and she now sits uh, in third on GC. So it's Kopecky one, Vollering 43 seconds behind, and then Ashley Woolman Passio, Kasia Niviadoma, Elisa Longo Borghini, and Annemiek van Vluten all on 51 seconds uh, behind. But yeah, what can we take from uh, this stage, Denny? Uh, looking ahead to the greater test that is to come. Yeah, I mean, I think it gives us a few clues, but I wouldn't say it tells us a lot more than that. I mean, I think probably more than anything we could see who who's perhaps out of form today. Um, but these are very. This is a very different stage from the one we've got coming up on stage seven. It's a lot longer. The hills are much shorter. It's much more punchy. Whereas you know, it's going to be more of an endurance test. Uh, on, on stage seven and we've got the the added factor of altitude of course on the tourmalet so I would be I wouldn't want to read too much into it I mean there were probably a few riders that were disappointed with how they performed you know there were another kind of set of GC riders that lost a bit of time today um, Juliette Labousse was really attacking but she lost another 10 seconds um, for example so yeah I mean in short I wouldn't read too much into it yeah, I mean, it, I would say it was it was a bad day for FTJ Sewers. Um, you know, we already saw Cavalli losing three minutes 30 the other day. She's now 8.49 back on GC. Um, Evita Music was back at the medical car during the race. It's not clear why that is. Hopefully we can bring you um, a bit more news on that tomorrow. She's 2.13 down, so she didn't manage to lose too much time given that there was clearly a problem. Um, but Utra Ludwig also lost time, and she's 1.49 back. And she slipped down to 10th on GC. So they're not in the best position. None of their their riders were in that front group um, and Rihanna Marcus for Team Yemba Visma has lost yet more time which is quite surprising actually because we had seen her in really excellent form she spent a lot of time up at altitude this year and I guess you know wondering at the moment whether that has been the right preparation for her whether like Nevia Doma was saying that mean that's led to a lack of sharpness for her which on this tour has been quite critical whether or not that that time that she's lost now will be as critical as the time that she may gain back through you know having these preparations at altitude because of course the tourmalet is at over 2,000 meters um, and the preparations that she's done for the long climbs but right now uh, yeah she's 226 back and has has shed a decent amount of time I do wonder though Lizzie because I when I spoke to Carmen Small who is Diesa Yambo uh, Visma which is Rihanna Marcus's team she said that, you know, Rihanna Marcus has really got her eye on that final stage, that TT stage. And, of course, she actually won the uh, Dutch national champs in amazing uh, fashion, quite comprehensively beating the likes of Vollering and Van Vluten uh, there. So maybe she's just all in, all in for the time trial. 
No, that, does that seem like a strange tactic? Well, yeah, I mean, she, she wouldn't try and lose time, obviously, but it's definitely something in her favour. And we talk a lot about um, those riders for whom the time trial is is a real test and a real problem and that they will need to find time ahead of that time trial. Riders like Nevia Doma, for instance. Um, however, Rihanna Marcus is the opposite of that. She's a rider that could potentially catapult herself into that that third spot on GC if if we're saying that first and second will be taken by Vollering and Van Vliet and catapult herself onto the podium, let's say at least, with a really good final day time trial. So, you know, you can't rule her out and that's why the last day is so important and hopefully we'll keep it thrilling right to the end. Well, uh, you mentioned, you know, looking ahead there, Lizzie. Um, but, Denny, we need to be more concerned about right now because we actually haven't eaten all day. Despite visiting a feed zone, uh, we made a, a rookie error in not picking up any food at the petrol station before we went to the feed zone and uh, didn't eat anything. And then have just it's just been... As you saw on TV, it's been so hectic that we haven't been able to stop and eat. Um, uh, shall we get Francois Tomazo to give us maybe some recommendations? Uh, here is Francois's French flavour. Now for some French flavour would be Francois Tomazo. A little bit of French colour from that uh, exciting stage four of the Tour de France fam from Cahors. To Rodez Cahors, of course, uh, famous for its wine. I don't know if you had the chance to taste it. We were there with the Tour de France men uh, in 2022. For a long time, the reputation of the Cahors wines were, was not very good. It was uh, usually red wine made from Malbec. It's very famous from you know for Argentine wines or Chile wines. And it was kind of rough wine, a little bit very strong, sunny wine. And it's actually changed in the last couple of years. And you have new producers now who are using Malbec differently to make kind of fruity, uh, much fresher wine. Emmanuel and Emily Rybinski, Claude Roteligot is my favorite new Cahors red wine. You've got Maya Salian, Nicolas Fernandez's Domaine La Calmette or Le Château Les Croisiers. These are the new generation kind of co wines and uh, good, excellent stuff. When you you finally reached uh, Rodez, and uh, well, of course, uh, it's a little bit different. The wine in Rodez is Marsillac, it's not so good as the cow wines, but you have a local specialty called Aligo. Uh, I won't really recommend it on uh, in the summer. I mean, I remember in the, we had quite a few finishes of the men's tour in Rodez. Uh, in the past, and it was kind of a tradition in the press room to offer the press uh, camp the whole plate of aligo. But aligo is kind of a you know mashed potatoes with a melted uh, lagiole cheese and a sausage. Uh, I remember a couple of times it was kind of forty degrees uh, outside, and we we were eating that for lunch, and the level of calories we. We were reaching, I remember Lionel, and you know, of course, is uh, Aligo and sausage. It was quite extraordinary. As I'm talking of uh, of food in in uh, Rodez, I remember with probably, I think it was 2017, one of our best ever meal uh, in, the, in a men's tour with Richard Moore, our old friend uh, Richard Moore at the time, in a place called Des Goûts et des Couleurs. I'm sorry for you guys, it's uh, the, the restaurant is, or was a Michelin Start the restaurant is now closed. But the funny thing with that restaurant, apart from the fact that it was 
excellent food was that the um, the owner was actually designing his his uh, his dishes like paintings by Soulage because Soulage is uh, you know the world's famous painter who died recently was over a hundred years old. Uh, Soulage is if the uh, local personality in Rodez. You've got a, a big, large, and very interesting museum dedicated to Soulage that opened, I think, seven or eight years ago now. Yeah, very interesting. And if you're in Rodez, that, that's one of the things you can't miss is the Soulage Museum. Also, if you're in the area, you know, try to go to Conque, which is a little town where an, an abbey was in the past. It's on the the, the, the road to Santiago de Compostela, and there's, it's got a marvelous little church with a uh, glassware by Soulage, and it's really, really uh, interesting. Lastly, uh, there, there were quite a few men's stages finishing Rodez in the past, as I said. Uh, at Bond that Côte de Saint-Pierre, we saw Michael Matthews or Greg Van Avermaet win. There was actually a stage in Rodez in 1984 in the Grand Tour de France Feminine. And guess what happened at the time? Well, it was a Dutch treble. One, two, and three by Dutch riders, 1984, almost 40 years ago now. Well, things change. Well, that was Francois. He's making probably more thirsty uh, than hungry because um, that list of wines. I hope you had your notebook out there, Denny, because you need to write those down. Uh, that sounded great. Um, but... Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, what what have we had t- today? Well, never have we been so grateful for the caravan. We that's had, so true. We were, we were furtively, furtively, that's the second time I've used that this week. Uh, but uh, we were looking around, scratching around for food, and we found uh, a tiny packet of pizza crackers that had been shoved into our hands at the at the caravan. So we, uh, we shared that at lunchtime, didn't we? Uh, whilst all the other riders help themselves to lunch at the feed zone. Exactly. Gosh, well, what, different types of, what different types of pizza are you having this week? Vending machine pizza? Cracker pizza? <laughs> what pizza will I you have tomorrow on the tour? Well, I did have some pizza from a uh, patisserie uh, when we went to the caravan. So, yeah, definitely getting the pizza in this week. I, and I said to Denny, uh, as Denny is a newbie to the tour, I was like, don't choose pizza uh, when you have a choice because... <laughs> Whenever there's no other option, there is always pizza. But then it does mean that, you know, uh, because there's very rarely options because everything shuts so early and, you know, we're working late and everything running around on the road, you end up eating pizza a third of the time anyway. So if you start choosing pizza, then that goes, you know, that proportion goes up miles. Especially if your, food. your snacks are pizza and your patisserie choice is pizza. I mean, I would say that's that a was poor lunch. choice. Yes. If you're in the patisserie lunch. and you choose pizza, you know, well, that is really... Really poor. Yeah. Really poor. Yeah, was it? Thanks, Lizzie. <laughs> it, was, it was a limited choice. There was a limited choice left. Anyway, I, 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 I like pizza. But anyway, we, I know we just get on. It's probably worth pointing out, um, Rose, that today we had a one, two, three, four of Dutch riders, mm. and they've now won eight of the 12 stages of the Tour de France fam. So I know we've talked about uh, SD Work stranglehold, but it certainly seems to be a, a Dutch stranglehold. They've also got the most riders in the race this year. So, um, yeah. Uh, let's hope some uh, other other nations can get a look in later on. And we actually should mention, before I forget, that we do have a Peddlers to Charm. I'm delighted to say we have a Peddlers to Charm uh, mug to award the most charming peddlers uh, of this week. 
Um, and uh, I, so we want to hear your uh, suggestions. I think we'll have a, we'll all go away and have a, a think about um, who's kind of caught our eye. Um, I, I, would, I know that the. <laughs> so I actually have a suggestion, and, and listeners, dear listeners, it actually got cut out of yesterday's show because I was laughing so hard when I suggested it. But I'm going to make the suggestion again, and I'm going to try not to laugh. Um, yesterday, after the stage, Elena Cicchini actually crashed with about 30 kilometres to go, and in Marlon Royce's post-race interview. Uh, she said how um, Ma- uh, Elena Cicchini had crashed hard, so hard that she actually was worried that she'd broken a bone. Um, yet despite that, she came to the front of the peloton and did such a big pull for SD Works in the final, which, as you may recall, was about 500 metres. Um, but uh, I think that given how hurt Elena Cicchini was, I think that it's very... Um, charming what she did to help her teammates in the in the final of the race yesterday well i i I hope that that stays in uh lizzie you did very well to suppress the the (laughs) chuckles that came upon you for almost uh, no reason but uh ellen i mean she is always absolutely uh delightful and just uh she's wonderful so she's a fantastic um choice uh uh, the sarasa wnt riders um have been handing out little uh Teddy's at the start every morning, uh, which I thought was cute, but probably one mug between all those riders isn't probably going to um, go very far. Although I did ask the press officer, you know, you know, the bears have names, and she said uh, they were thinking about Beratazit. Oh, that's that's good. That's Ter- great, isn't it? Good. <laughs> terrible but good. So it's pretty good. But yes, please, uh, dear listeners. Uh, do send us in your peddlers to charm suggestions, right, Denny? We really need to clear off. The, I can hear the mu- the volume of the music is going up. The lights are on uh, now. Um, we're probably the uh, well, you're definitely the oldest person in the bar, <laughs> and I might be the second oldest. Um, I'm surprised it'll be. I'd be now. surprised if Denny actually turns up to tomorrow's podcast. No, after no, all I know, but he can't. <laughs> I mean, Denny's train leaves uh, on Monday, so he's got no choice. Well, well. <laughs> Yeah, Lizzie, you're going to know exactly what I'm going to say tomorrow, so you can just uh, say it all and uh, get, make sure the facts are straight. Oh, Denny, no! I'll, I'll just go and uh, hang well, out. Well, I, <laughs> I know what you're going to you're gonna choose for lunch. I know what you're going to choose for lunch. It's going to be pizza, isn't it? You're not wrong. Right, you two. I'm going to try and separate you like two bickering siblings. Stop, stop. Uh, we've uh, come to the end of uh, our podcast. Thank you very Thank you, genuinely. Thank you very much, Denny. Thank you, Rose. Um, I'll try and, you know, when you go crying in the corner, I will come over, don't worry, uh, and see how you're doing. And uh, uh, goodbye, Lizzie. A pleasure, as always. Thank you both. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freeb, and Lionel Burney.